What have we been learning? This is a pop quiz. Walking worthy, good. We could have gotten that one right. You could have gone back here and walk worthy. Uh, I want you to tell me this. Tell me a, a, a theme. I, I don't really title very many of my sermons. Tell me a, kind of a theme or an idea that maybe you can go back through all of Ephesians. One thing that sticks out in your mind, something that we've learned through Ephesians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to the picture, right? This is kind of the idea that we're headed towards. And I use this picture to kind of give us a visual uh, idea. We started off in this big view of God. And but then Katie's right, you know, this big view of God leads to something else. There's a natural, logical connection between how you view God begins to affect how you then walk. Right. And that's why I have walk worthy. That kind of defines where we're going. All right. Uh, let, let me ask you this. Um, uh, what what tell me one thing that as we've gone through this that maybe you've, you've taken with you, you can go back to the beginning. It doesn't have to be one specific thing. What's one thing that maybe you've brought with you from from Ephesians that you've you've picked up along the way said that one stuck in my head uh, I'm, I've, I've carried that through that's that's impacted me maybe a concept of God that's that's done exactly that affected how you walk anybody have anything like that they say this 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 concept I remember this thing here feel free to flip back through Ephesians I mean that's not cheating it's an open book quiz yeah hmm Yes. Oh, that's good. I, I'd forgotten about that, that, that passage. Yeah. The Gentiles didn't have, have a Messiah, but God has brought us in, hasn't he? Anybody else? Something else? Anybody else have something? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and so there will be things about us and gifts that we will never, ever know about if we come to it apart from the body. Mm. Um, so I thought that was really important to go over. Mm. Very key. Anybody else? And that was a new thought for me as well. I, I'd never thought about that until I was studying that, that there are specific gifts that God gives us for the church. And so apart from church, there are things that you would never experience, right? And that's what she was talking about. Anybody else? It's a lifelong commitment, isn't it? And uh, in fact, that's going to bring me to my next little question here. Uh, we talked about when we got into the walking worthy, right? And we got to last the last couple of weeks, and so I can really test your memories here. The, the, we started off, he said, walk worthy, and then he talked about being part of church, and then he said, um, there was a don't walk, and we're to don't walk like what? The Gentiles, right? So there's, there's a key difference between the lost and Christians. There, there's a difference in walk, right? There's a fundamental difference in walk, and, and what, what was one of those key differences? And it connects to what uh, Mrs. Doolin just said about it's a lifelong commitment because what was one of the key differences that we saw, right? Don't walk like the Gentiles, futility of mind, 
lack of understanding, ignorance, but that's not how we learned Christ, right? And how do we learn Christ last week? What was the, the thing? How do we learn Christ? Yeah, that Christianity isn't just about stop doing bad stuff. It's also not just about start doing good stuff, loving, caring, right? It's also not just about a, a spiritual renewal, really trusting God and understanding his word, but it's, it, it's all three, right? The, the Christian walk, is a, is a, it's a lifelong commitment to change, to grow, to become more like God. It's, it's a putting off of these things. It's a, it's a putting on of these things, and there's a, that constant spiritual renewal that needs to happen. So now we're in a place where Paul, and I think that you guys are going to love the next bit of Ephesians, okay? Because Paul jumps into, okay, we've talked about a lot of theory. What does this actually look like Monday through Friday? What does this actually mean? I mean, put off, put on, be renewed. What does that actually mean? And so we're going to jump in right this week. We're going to jump into a practical application of that message. Put off, put on, and be renewed. And Paul's actually going to give an example of it. So let's look at that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. If you want to uh, flip in your Bibles there, I'll put it up on the screen for you as well. Ephesians four twenty-five says this. So he's just finished saying, uh, put off, be renewed, put on. And so then he says this. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, lying, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor... For we are members of one another. Now, can you see the, that the put off, put on, be renewed kind of happening in this verse? Right? Do you see that in there? There's a, there's a put off, there's a put on, and then there's this, this renewal that needs to happen or an understanding of what's going on. So, so let's take a look at that first word there, therefore. Um, in the King James it says wherefore, but it has the same meaning. It means and, and I've always heard uh, people say, if you see a therefore, see what it's there for, right? You look back, there's a connection. And it's a logical progression. It means on account of, okay? In other words, the, because of what we just said, therefore do this, right? So because of this put off, put on, this is how we learned Christ. This is what you should do. So the therefore is there to say this is what we need to do. And, and so notice the very first thing he says. He says, put off lying, right? He says, having put away falsehood is what it says. This is an example of putting off, something that needs to be thrown off from the Christian life. Uh, I think we could start with, uh, we're going to talk about three aspects of this, but let's start with this first one here. Uh, number one, the, the, the bold-faced lie, right? Now, I know that probably none of you walked in here this morning and thought, you mean Christians aren't supposed to lie? What? Right? That's almost like a fundamental aspect of Christianity, right? Christians don't lie. Uh, we could go back to the Eighth Commandment, right? Exodus twenty sixteen: You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Or how about this one? Proverbs chapter 6 says this, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, there's seven that are an abomination to him, Right? Haughty eyes, number one, haughty eyes. Uh, notice, a lying tongue. Okay, so right here in this list of seven things God hates, a lying tongue. Uh, hands that shed innocent blood. 
a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So in the, in the top seven things that God hates are an abomination to him, according to Proverbs. Notice that two of them have to do with lying. God hates lying. And this is just the basic reality of Christianity. God hates lying. But notice that the passage itself doesn't say lying. In fact, if you look up the, the word and say, okay, what, when, when Paul said put away falsehood, that's exactly what he said. He said put away falsehood. The word is uh, pseudos in the Greek. P-S-E-U-D-O. Does that sound familiar? Have you, have you seen pseudo in front of words before? Pseudonym, right? Uh, sometimes we can tack it onto almost anything. A pseudo-Christian, a pseudo-this. What does pseudo mean? Doesn't it just mean false in general? Right? Something that's false or fake or, or deceitful. And that's exactly what that word means. It has to do with deception. Falsehood has to do with deception. I want you to consider a story for just a moment. We're going to jump all the way back to Genesis. And I'm going to, we're going to jump into the middle of a story here. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to click that one up there. Falsehood, second one. Um, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that, the God, that God had made. Hey, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say that? So he's questioning what God said. Did God actually say that? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any tree in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die, which actually isn't true. He didn't say you can't touch it. He just said don't eat of it. So she kind of, he's, kind of escalated a little bit in his mind. But now listen to what he says next, verses 4 and, four and 5. He says this, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your, your eyes will be open and, your, and, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now let me ask you a question. Is that true? You will not surely die. Wait, no, wait a minute. She ate the fruit. Did she die right away? No. no. She seems to act like if you touch it, you'll, you're going to die. And, and he says, well, you won't surely die. And God had said, thou shalt surely die when you eat of it. He, in fact, he says, uh, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That was actually right, wasn't it? Did, God, did, did they not, after they ate of the tree, understand good and evil like they had not before? Very much the case. But listen to what uh, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy about this event. He says this, For, for Adam was formed first, and Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but, but the woman was what? Deceived. And became a transgressor. So, so the, you know, that's a context of a passage, but notice that in this context right here, what, what Paul's pointing out is that deception happened. Right? There was deception. Now, wait a minute. Did, did Satan say anything technically that was untrue? Not technically. But yet deception still occurred. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 44, John says, or, or Jesus says, uh, You are of uh, your father the devil. He's speaking to the, uh, the Pharisees. And, you, you will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth. 
because there is no truth in him. Speaking of Satan, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, Satan is a liar. So, but what I don't want you to miss is this. Don't kid yourself. Technically, I'm not lying. Well, technically you are, right? Technically, if you want to get real about it, technically you are. I I don't know how many times people say, yeah, we shouldn't lie, but they say, well, technically I'm not lying, right? Pick up the phone. Call your boss. Now, technically I'm not lying, so what I say to him is, you know, um, I need to call in sick today. Right? You're not sick, but you weren't feeling good. And so there's a bit of a loophole there because I need to go do this other thing that since I am really not feeling good, I can call in sick and I'm not lying. You're still deceiving. And the Bible says put off all falsehood. Or, or what about your taxes? See, we've got a tax person here. She'll tell you. She'll tell you if you're doing the wrong thing. Right? Have you heard of working under the table? What's that? Is that falsehood? Absolutely. Off the record, avoiding paying those taxes. Hey, if you're paid, are you supposed to pay taxes on any money you make? Yes. You're deceiving. You know, in, Levit- in Leviticus, it talks about how if you've deceived in, in speaking out in, in money areas, it says you're a liar and, and you're guilty, right? There's a lot of ways that falsehood can creep into our lives, isn't there? Not just the bold-faced lie, but there, there's a lot of falsehoods that tend to creep in. And we usually use that phrase, technically I'm not lying. You're still deceiving. It's still sin. And you're speaking the same language that Satan does when you do it. He's the father of lies. And he's speaking out of his character. And when you walk in that direction, you're following after him in falsehood. You know, the word put off literally means to throw away, cast off. That's why some verses say put away or put off. It's, it's a word that is, you, you get the picture almost like a, an article of clothing that's got caught on fire or something and you're like, oh, right? You throw it away from you. You've got to get this thing off of you. And this is the approach we have to have. Any type of falsehood has to go away. We can't have it in our lives. Paul says, having put it off. Let me look at this one here. Thirdly. Thirdly. Well, living a lie. Well, Matt, aren't you being a little too picky here? I mean, to say living a lie in the category of falsehood, I mean, what... What are you even talking about here? Let let me share with you a couple passages of Scripture. Uh, John, John is interesting because if you look at it in the whole Bible, the times that the word truth shows up in the Bible, um, 21 times just in the Gospel of John, the word truth is used. By far more than any other place in Scripture. It's used to refer to Jesus. It's used to refer to the way of life that we live as Christians. He uses it in a lot of different ways. In his, his other letters, First and Second and Third John, he talks a lot about truth and what it means and following in the truth or leaving the truth or abandoning the truth. And the truth is in Jesus, right, as Paul says. But in First John, we see this passage. Now, I want you to chew on this in the aspect of lying. Listen to this. If we say we have fellowship with him, 
while we walk in darkness, what's it say? We lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. Or, or, or how about this one? First John 2, 4. Whoever says, I, I know him, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Do you see the connection that John is making? An aspect of falsehood is, is found wrapped in this, this, this life that we can put on. I think that one way that this shows up many times, I mean, how many times has someone shown up to church, right? And you put on your best, I've got it together today face, right? Oh, all kinds of things going on at home or even in the car on the way here. You pop into church, you got your best, I've got it together face on. How's things going? Oh, good. You're fine. I've got it together. Right? Making sure you look good enough to... I'm, I'm pleasing God. Yeah, I love the Lord. I know Him. I have fellowship with God. I'm, I'm, you know, when I talk about fellowship, I'm talking, like, you're, you're in close connection with God. Right? You're, you're, you're a Christian. But if in reality, when you walk out this door... You're not praying. You're not reading your Bible. You're not seeking after God on a day-to-day basis. I mean, yeah, sure, you can show up with your, you know, nice Sunday best on, right? I mean, you can look pretty good, and everybody looks at you. He's a pretty good Christian. He's a good guy. He's here all the time. He's a great, she's a great lady. She's here, right? What a faithful person. But in reality, your life is not characterized by following after Jesus Christ. And frankly, you're not obedient anyway. You don't keep his commands, he tells us to pray without ceasing. He, he, we're, we're commanded to, to go off separately and, and to pray. We're, we're commanded to love our neighbors and, and, to, and all these things we're going to start talking about. It deals with anger and, 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 and love and, and care and concern. We're to be humble and compassionate. These are commands that God has. And we're not interested in that. Yeah, we may not drink and do this other bad stuff. But, but we show up to church and we got our nice. You're living a lie. Your, your, your life is a lie. You've put on religious forefront. It's not true. You're not nearly as spiritual as you put on. And John clearly connects this to, you're a liar. You're a liar. What about this one? Proverbs 10.18 says this. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Let's chew on that one for a minute. Disingenuous. Angry at somebody, mad at somebody. I mean, you've got stirring up frustration against somebody, maybe even hatred. And you conceal it. It's not okay. It's lying lips. But wait a minute, does that mean I can just be a hateful person then? I just tell him, I hate you. No, because listen to this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar too. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love God who he hasn't seen. You can't, you, if you don't love the people, look around those people in this room. If you don't genuinely love everybody in this room, I'm telling you right now, there's no way that you can actually be someone who loves God. That's what John says. If you don't love your brother, 
you can't love God. How can, you, how can you love God whom you haven't even seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen? That's the logical argument that John makes. And if, you're, if you put on a nice face when you show up at church and you, you got hatred, you got anger, you got bitterness in your heart, I'm telling you right now, you, you need to be concerned about your salvation because you can't love God and hate your brother. You can't be a, a follower of Jesus and walk in darkness. You can't really even know God if you're not keeping his commandments. You know, that's not legalism. You know, uh, one of the things in it, within a marriage, I mean, there's some things I can't do because I'm married. you know that? I'm not going on dates with other women, right? But notice the connection of there's things that I can't do. Notice the connection between that and my love, Right? Loving someone doesn't mean there aren't commands that you need to keep. In fact, real love oftentimes is is joined together with things you can't do. I mean, love can't do that, right? And there's a genuine love that's there. And if we say we love God, we're not loving our brothers. The truth isn't there. We're liars. We're living a lie. But why do we do this? I mean, I I could go on all day talking about different aspects, ways of lies. I haven't even gotten into lying by omission. I mean, there's times where you can... You can just not say anything at all, and it, you know, people end up being deceived because you just haven't spoken up. Sure, you haven't actually said a lie, but, but you can lie by omission as well. I mean, there's all kinds of different avenues we could take in here. And, and Paul says to put off all falsehood, all of it. I started thinking, well, why do, we, why do we do any of it anyway? I'm going to let some Greek philosophers answer this question, okay? So we're going to, we're going to jump back in time here uh, a few thousand years to some Greek philosophers. Listen, this would have been about that time. And I want you to think when you hear some of these quotes how much these thoughts match up to some things people say today as well. Listen to this first one. Um, this Greek philosopher, listen to a bunch of dead Greek philosophers today. He says, a lie is better than a hurtful truth. Now think about that. A lie is better than a hurtful truth, he says. In other words, I, I might be able to protect somebody from the tr- I, to tell them this is going to hurt them, and so I'll, I'll, I'll say this to help them out, right? Or how about uh, this guy here? He says, good is better than truth. Now think about it. Good, to, to bring about some kind of good or good is better than truth. Now, but think, how often we think this way, though, right? I'm going to throw in a personal admission right now. I'm going to tell you right now, when, when I first got married, I was constantly trying to, and you can ask her, she'll tell you, I was, man, I was a liar. But I was, I was always trying to protect, like, if, if like, I'll give you one example. Uh, one of the jobs I was at, well, I got to Christmas time, and this is when I was a, a total moron. I'm still kind of a moron today, but I was real a dummy back then. And, and I was at my first teaching job. And I just, I just wasn't doing a very good job. I'm going to tell you right now. Controlling my classroom, I'm just a laid-back kind of guy. And my boss was an ex-Marine Vietnam vet, right? He wanted things structured to the point, right away, desk straight, boom. And he came to me at Christmas time, and he said, Matt, if you don't get your classroom together, we may not have you next year, Right? And my wife would occasionally ask me, she'd say, how, how, uh, how's things going at school? It's fine. It's good. <laughs> right? Why, why did I do that? Th- there was a good thing I was wanting to do, 
would protect my wife from hard, difficult. I didn't want her to be worried about it. I knew I, I, I and I did. I, I stayed there for four years, you know. I, I got my act together, and I really worked on classroom discipline. And, and I, I really think that I'm a better teacher today because of him and, and, and the influence that he played in helping me understand how to be a good disciplinarian in the classroom and how to do that in a loving way. But there, there's a lot of other things. What's the money going to look like? How tight is it going to be? I mean, there's a lot of times I, or, or I think men especially struggle with this. If there's a, a, a struggle with sin you might have in your life, you don't want to tell your wife about that. You want to be strong and, 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 and solid. And you don't want them to be worried about you as a, a person. And, and so there's a tendency to, to, to glaze over the truth, right, out of a good concern that you have. I want to protect you from hard things. How many of us even venture into... Uh, uh, trying to help somebody by using slight deceptions to manipulate into what I think needs to happen. And we have a lot of good reasons we want that. I really know that this would be the best thing for this person. I think that, no offense, ladies, but I think women struggle with this, moms especially. They, they want something good for their kids, and like, their kids aren't doing the way they think they should go. And so they might bend it a little bit to try to get something to happen, Right? I'm like, twist it a little bit. A little false, a little white lie here, a little white lie there. Listen to Plato. This is a Greek philosopher. You may recognize his name. It says, he may lie who knows how to do it. Oh, I, oh, did I not click this one up here a minute ago? I'm sorry. I thought I clicked it. Good is better than truth, that guy. Uh, uh, he, he may lie who knows how to do it uh, in a suitable time. In other words, if you're good at lying, you know, if you can do a good one and work it all out, then it's, it's suitable. And they were having the same kind of problems. I mean, this is the culture of the Ephesians, right? This kind of philosophy was there. Yeah, truth is good, but, but it, it, if it might be hurtful, we might... The, the white lie is not necessary. If you can bring about some good. Or how about this one here? Uh, when when uh, telling a lie will be profitable, let it be told. Right? When telling a lie is profitable, let the, let the lie be told. There's nothing wrong with that. If you can, if you can maybe work something out, and there's a benefit to the, everybody else. If if I might be able to manipulate here in this situation, and you're really the the reason why we lie is because, frankly, we are trying to be God in our lives. Now, God, He's the sovereign over the universe, in control of all things, and how the world is going to go. He's in control of everything. We can't do that, and so we do the next best thing in our minds. I'll create a little world here where this is like this and this is like this. I mean, in reality, one of the biggest reasons why lying is wrong is because you're attempting to step in the place of God and take control. And frankly, the truth many times leaves us out of control, doesn't it? To just say this is the truth, this is what happened, it leaves us out of control of what's going to happen and what's going to go on and, and how someone's going to feel. I can't control how they feel. They're going to feel this way because of this truth, but truth must be told. I mean, we're not much different than these Greek philosophers, are we? Some of the, do, do some of those excuses and those statements kind of ring a bell with you? Have you ever thought, well, I just, just a, it's a one little white lie to kind of cover this over, maybe to help out? I don't want someone to be hurt by this. This truth, this truth is hard. I don't want to do this. Well, I'm going to let the Proverbs respond for me in this nature. Uh, Proverbs 21.6. Did I not click ahead again? There it goes. There we go. Proverbs 21.6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity or an emptiness tossed to and fro of them that seek death. 
You may think that telling a little white lie, telling something that's slightly false, might be a benefit, but you are dead wrong. In the end, it's an emptiness. Or how about this one? A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. See, see, the reality is, you really want to deliver someone, you really want to help somebody out, don't ever let yourself fall into, believe the lie of Satan, that this little white lie will be the best thing for them. I, I, can, I, I know this isn't exactly true, but if I say this, this will be the best thing for them, it will get them to do the thing that I, I think is really the best thing. It's a lie. You love somebody, you care, some, care about somebody, the truth is what really delivers the soul. What does Jesus say? Right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right? You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Very wrapped up in the character of Jesus Christ is this element of truth. Or how about Proverbs um, uh, 26, uh, 28? A lying tongue hates those that are afflicted by it. And lying to someone, telling dishonesty and, and speaking dishonestly is ultimately really an absolute working of ruin. A flattering mouth works ruin. A lying tongue hates those. I mean, that's a great way. You, no, I, I said this because I love this person. I don't want them to experience this heartache or this difficulty. This. A lying tongue hates the person that is afflicted by it. I'm trying to control someone's outcome. Now, okay. You got it now? Don't lie. Don't be false. No falsehood at all. You guys are going, okay, we got it. We got it. Don't lie. This is a great thing to begin characterizing your life by. I am someone that there is not anything deceptive or false going to come off, come away from me. I, it's thrown off, right? I'm going to throw it as far away from me as I can. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, put off falsehood. Next thing. What does he say to do next? You can look. Ephesians 4.25. Put, put off falsehood and speak the truth. So it doesn't stop with just, now wait a minute, I, isn't putting off falsehood speaking the truth anyway? Well, not necessarily. To, to, to speak the truth is, is maybe a step further. Let me put this up here. So the, the put on then, we're, we're putting off this, the put on is, is, is speaking the truth. Let each one you speak the truth with his neighbor. Uh, the put on, uh, if you go up a few verses uh, when, uh, in Ephesians uh, 4.22, when, when, when he says put on, therefore. The word put on is, and I, I think I failed to mention this last week. The, the put off is a word that, throw it away. The put on is a word that means literally to slip on like clothing, Right? To clothe yourself in these things. And so as Paul gives his first example, he says, Ditch the falsehood, but clothe yourself in truth. Well, what does that mean? How do you clothe yourself in truth? Isn't that the same thing? Well, uh, this is a quote uh, from Zechariah 8.16. There, there are, uh, uh, these are the things that you should do. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. And there's a few other things he says. But this, this quote that Paul gives is actually a quote from Zechariah. But it's important to understand that this is given as a Greek imperative. When Paul says, speak truth, it's, it's, a, it's a command, right? So, so just getting rid of lying, no falsehood, isn't necessarily speaking truth. Do you see what I'm saying? There must be some 
something has to now happen. To, and really, in fact, to stop, when does a liar stop being a liar? Is it when they just stop lying? No, it's when they begin doing what? Speaking the truth. Uh, this truth is so essential that in Ephesians 4.21, and I've kind of mentioned this already with John and some other passages, but Ephesians 4.21 says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I mean, th- this aspect of the truth is, is a character of, of the Christian life and the Christian walk. Uh, in John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24, um, Jesus says this, But the hour is coming and, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So there needs to be a trueness, a genuineness, a reality. Truth needs to characterize us, clothe us in truth. Let me give you a couple ways what this, what, what, what this might look like. Uh, let me give you this first one here. Uh, number one, confession of sin. Confession of sin. In other words, I, I thought about having this first point as, I'm a sinner. Right? I'm a sinner. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. There's more to that verse than that, but, but you hear that? Confess your sins to, to God. Well, we, there's places where we have to do that. But notice that James specifically says, confess your sins to who? You can say it. One another. Well, who's one another for us? Everybody, right here, right? I actually said right here, yeah. Everybody, the, the people right here. Now, do you believe the Bible's true? Do you think you should be obedient to what God says? Well, I'm pretty sure that that confess right there is a command. When was the last time you obeyed this? I want you to hear the in the book of Acts, Acts 19.18. says this, Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And you can find other examples of this throughout uh, the New Testament of Christians in that time. That when they became Christians, they didn't just say, I want to be a Christian. They said, I want to be a Christian. I've got to tell you, this is, the, this is what kind of sinner I am. There was an, to, see, to, to speak the truth is, to, is going to include this concept of confessing. The word confess means to say the same thing as, right? And so we usually connect confess with say the same thing as God says. And so we're to be saying the same thing about ourselves as God would say about ourselves when we're with each other. There needs to be a, a complete openness of, I'm a sinner. Right? You're not doing anybody any good by showing up to church and putting on a I'm a good person facade. You know you're a sinner. And if you don't, you should know you're a sinner. And you should be willing to let that be seen. I'm a sinner. I don't have my act together. I'm not a perfect person. I'm, right? I'm a sinner. We're all sinners in this room. Because I also, not just saying I'm a sinner and confession of sin... But also this, confrontation of sin. Or you could put it this way, you're a sinner. Right? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Confronting sin to the face is an aspect of speaking the truth. In the book of Galatians, Paul shares a story 
uh, of a time when there, there was a bit of a disagreement between Paul and another guy you may have heard of before, Peter. You ever heard of Peter? <laughs> right? They had a bit of a, a disagreement about something uh, biblical. And Paul talks about how he, he, he went right to him and he, and he opposed this certain teaching that, that Peter was, was representing. Peter was saying something, and Paul opposed it. He said, whoa, right? Oh, this isn't right. In fact, not only did he do it there, he, he did it there, and he, he opposed this teaching with, with Peter and James and several of the other church fathers. And he, he actually calls them, he says, men who were supposedly important, right? Supposedly pillars of the church. He says, that I, I confronted them and opposed their teaching. And he says, for the truth of the gospel is what he says specifically, for the truth of the gospel. So the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Well, then, uh, that was in Jerusalem. Peter, who's also known as Cephas, left Jerusalem and he went up to the city of Antioch. Now, down here, Peter said, you're right, you know, Paul, you're going to the Gentiles and, and they don't need to be circumcised. That's totally fine. And, and, and you go to them. And, well, then Peter actually went up there as well. And, and Peter, when he, when he shows up, he's, he's fellowshipping with the Gentile believers. But then James shows up and he pulls back for the Gentiles and he starts just fellowshipping with the Jews. How do you think Paul responded? He'd go, well, that's not right. Did he go to everybody else like, that is not right. That shouldn't happen. That is not right. What do you think he did? Let's read. Uh, Galatians 2.11, he says this. Uh, but when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. In other words, he was wrong. And so Peter, or Paul, came to Peter and opposed him to his face. What you're doing is wrong. This is what putting on the truth can look like. Not just confession of your own sin, but a willingness to confront others when they are sinning. But you know, those things go best together, don't they? A willingness to be confronted makes confrontation much easier, doesn't it? I want to be confronted. I'll tell you right now, if you ever wonder, does Matt want to be confronted if he's, if he's sinning in some way? He's being proud or he's being arrogant. The answer is yes. I will tell you right now, I may not respond the best at first. You can ask my dear, lovely wife. I, nobody enjoys being confronted in their sin, but we need to be in the kind of church that says, this needs to happen. And if you see me going down a path, you go, ooh, I don't know if that's the right path. For my, you can say something to me. Matt, that seems wrong. Pose him to his face. Um, he, Paul goes on to say this. He says, but when, when I saw that their conduct was not in, this is verse 14, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. See the connection to truth there? When I saw their conduct was not in, in connection, not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, and he goes on to talk about what he says to him, but he, in front of everybody, there was no hiding this behind something. and he, There was a in the face, to the face, in love, confrontation of sin. And if we want to do this, if we want to really follow in the way of truth and protect the truth, we need to be able to tell the truth to those people around us. One other side uh, of this as well, and I, I don't have time to get into this one very much, but I do want to mention it. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul talks about how um, he talks about liars and deceivers as false teachers. And when he mentions these liars and deceivers, he says this. He says, he says, 
here's what they've been teaching. He begins to illustrate some things. One of them was forbidding marriage with some people or, or not eating certain kinds of foods. And you have to understand as well that even going a step beyond, and notice how Paul said uh, when they we were out of step, they were not in step with the truth of the gospel, I oppose them. When you take one step outside of where the scripture is at, Paul considers that an element of lying. We need to be right in line with the truth of the word of God and the truth of the gospel. But now we have this put off, okay? So we got it. All right, Matt, put off. Get, get rid of any kind of falsehood, any kind of lying. It's gone, right? Whether it be the bold-faced lie or it be uh, uh, technically I'm not lying. That's a lie, right? If you're deceiving in any way or, or if it's even living a lie. Putting on a false front, putting on a, a pseudo-Christian outward appearance, making yourself look like everything is good and fine. But then we have to go the next step and to slip on, clothe ourselves with truth in such a way that, that as a church we come together and we're willing to say, I'm a sinner. I'm struggling. I'm willing to say, you're a sinner. I'm willing to say, come here, my, I'm having all kinds of trouble at home. There's these issues. I'm concerned about my kids or my grandkids because of these things. I'm worried about this. You've you got to be willing to say, you've got to put on truth and begin to have truth be the key element in this church. We're clothed in it. But finally, we need to be renewed. Be renewed, right? Because that's what it is. Put off, put on, and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Well, notice how Paul uh, addresses this aspect with this first example. He says, uh, and with the be renewed, he says, for we are members of one another. He gives a reason. See, the reason, that's what the, the spiritual renewal is about, is about understanding why. Why, do, why is this so important? What do we need to do here? I want you to notice that in that phrase, in verse uh, 25, Paul says, for we're members of one another. He doesn't say we're members of the body of Christ. That's kind of what I would have expected him to say. You should be telling the truth because you're members of the body of Christ. But notice what he says. He says, because you're members of one another, right? Members of one another. Um. I want you to think about it in this sense. My, my physical body, right? I, one of the key, most important things for my body to function correctly is, is that the nerves are relaying accurate messages to my brain, and my brain's sending accurate messages back down to my limbs. If you reach over and you touch a hot stove, there needs to very, be very quickly and truthfully, this is hot, sent up to my brain, Right? And then my brain needs to go, you need to move because it's hot, right? You're going to burn yourself. Hot is bad. <laughs> okay, my hand's not smart enough to know that on its own. So the brain's got to say, hot is bad. Move quick, right? <sighs> right? How much more so in the body of Christ as we, as we are part of this one body, this one another. It, when one aspect of the body hurts, the, it can affect other parts of the body as well, not just the head, right? We're connected. There's an interconnectedness of the body of Christ. When I see you maybe going in the direction, there needs to be that truth relayed. I'm struggling in this way, right? This is going on in my life. This is happening. And that message needs to be relayed back. You need to move. It needs to be truth both ways. Truth is essential with the, the nerves in your body to be communicating with each other. And the same thing is true in the body of Christ. We're members of one another. Truth needs to happen in communication in the body. Paul says it this way in Colossians. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices 
And I want to close with another passage that I don't have a slide for, but we're going to close with this in, in the book of Acts. And so I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 5. As we think about being members of one another and the essential nature of truth, we're going to read a story of lying in the church. Okay? Acts chapter 5. We'll start with verse 1. It says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. So far, so good. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back part for himself, some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I don't see anything too bad here, right? I mean, it's his property. He sold it. There's no command that if you sell property, you have to give everything to the apostles' feet, right? But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Wait a minute. Did Ananias say anything? We'll have to think about this for a minute. Notice what Peter says next. He says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, there's no command to give all of it. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Lying to one another, we're members of one another. Ultimately, it comes back to being the Spirit of God in this body of Christ, and it's ultimately about God. Most likely, what was going on here is this must have been an occasion where where people were regularly, I sold this, I'm giving you everything, I'm giving you everything, and laying it at the apostles' feet. And so Ananias thought, I'm going to sell this, keep back some of it, but I can still show up, right, and look real spiritual. Laid at the apostles' feet? How do you think God responds to this? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Ananias hears this condemnation and dies right there. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. I can understand that, can't you? Can you imagine if someone came and, and did some sort of deception at this church and, and I said, why did you lie? You, you didn't lie to men, you lied to God. And they just went, right? What happens next? The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So Sam and Johnny, they got up, wrapped this guy up, take him out. Joe could carry his feet today. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. So his wife shows up about three hours later, not knowing what had happened, not knowing anything about her husband. She hasn't heard about this yet. She walks in, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Right? Now, we heard earlier that she had knowledge of how much it was actually sold for. She's probably thinking, Well, I don't want to get him in trouble. Right? He must have brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. And they're just curious. I, I don't want to make him look bad. So what'd she do? 
And she said, yes, for so much. Behold, um, but Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. So the young men were standing at the door. So they, they, they must have gone out, taken care of Ananias. And as they're walking back in, they walk back in, and there's another dead person at the apostles' feet. And they pick her up and carry her out. Immediately she fell down at his feet. When the young men came in and they found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, God is not a God that changes. He's the same God then that he is today. And he may not always respond so drastically. I think one of the reasons why it was so drastic is to set the precedent what the church is to be. The church is not about showing off, being religious and, and looking good. And it's definitely not about lying. And it's not about being dishonest. It's not about being deceptive. Those things are gone. It's about confronting sin right where it's at. Addressing it. Being honest about where you're at and what you're doing. Those things must happen. Put off the old self with its lying and deception. Put on something new. Openness. Honesty. Maybe you've, done, maybe you've gone this far. You don't really lie. Maybe there's a few white lies still in there. Then you okay, I need to get rid of that. But I encourage you to go to the next step to put on truth. Speaking the truth with your neighbor. I'm a sinner. If need be, you're a sinner. Right? All for the sake of the gospel and the truth that is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, I do want to thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as a church, that we would we would put away all lying, all deceit, Lord, that we would put it off from ourselves. Lord, that we would then clothe ourselves and put on truth. To walk in the truth, to live in the truth that's found in Jesus. Lord, to be honest about where we're at and where other people are at. Let this church be characterized with truth. Help us to do this, Lord, because we recognize we're members of this body of Christ. and We're members of one another. There's, there's, a, there's a connection that we all have with each other. and It must be truth that is done in these things. Lord, let truth reign in this body. Help us, Lord, to repent, to turn away, and to put on something new this week. Lord, I know that we will be tempted, Lord, especially if we're, we're good at telling those little white lies, telling those little bits of dishonesty. Maybe it's for a good cause, we think. Lord, bring your word, bring your scripture to our minds and our hearts this week to know that that must not happen any longer. Lord, all of this I do pray because of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, that he was the one who is the truth. And that ultimately, Lord, as we stand before him, and stand before you, that we will be to say, let God be true and every man a liar. That we are all clothed in the truth that is found in Jesus. So, Lord, that's what we pray. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.